You're listening to Badass Coaching, a podcast of the Ad Astra Coach Alliance. I'm your host, Andy Huckaba. We are doing a podcast today about the re-entry into the workplace and society amidst the pandemic. The pandemic has created a unique situation for all of us as we navigate the return to the workplace and re-entry into society after many months of working from home, isolation, masking up, and so forth. Companies and organizations are facing what's been called the great resignation of 2021. Uh, Other people are calling it the big quit, where over 10 million job openings are out there. Employers or employees who have worked remotely are now being asked to return and are threatening to quit if they're forced to return to full-time work. Those numbers range from 25 to 42%, depending on what uh, references you look at, people who indicate that they will quit rather than go back in person. In the meantime, companies and organizations are facing an unprecedented labor shortage and are paralyzed by poor retention rates. Employees are facing conflicting values, conflicting emotions, logistical challenges, and their minds and hearts that have been changed by the threats of the pandemic. A new reality of work without commutes, more balance in their personal lives, and a new understanding of their own work-life goals seem to be driving this shift. People are leaving, says Linda Gratton of the London Business School. If they're not leaving physically, they're leaving emotionally or cognitively. So today we welcome our great guests from the Healthy Communities Leadership Academy alumni and the badass coaches from the Ed Astra Coach Alliance. From Ad Astra, we have Troy Unruh and we have Phyllis Collins. And from the Healthy Communities Leadership Academy alumni group, we have Shelly Sumner, we have Christopher Cooper, Lucinda Talbert, Jatame Taylor, Bianca Garcia, Kara Lubisher, Shannon Chris, Amanda George, and Nils Gore. I hope I got everybody's name closer. As we get involved in this discussion, it's a little different than what we've normally done on our podcast because we have this interesting and incredible group of people who are working in healthcare or working in healthy communities and are experiencing some of the things we're talking about firsthand. And so I'm very, very anxious to, to hear your thoughts. I want to start off with a question for everyone or anyone. How have you experienced this incredible time and the pending transitions? So feel free to open your mics and Chime in. This is Shelly Summer. I manage a program at Children's Mercy called Weighing In, and we are working to promote healthy lifestyles through community collaboration. And my experience has been really ups and downs. So at the beginning of the pandemic, it was an up for me because I was sent home. And many of you on the call might know this, but people who are listening to this podcast don't. I have a three hour commute to Kansas City. I actually live just outside of Springfield, Missouri. And so for me, what that meant 
when you get to work from home, it means that I don't commute every week to Kansas City. Um, I was able to stay home, get things done at home while still maintaining a job, working with the same great team I had at the beginning and really figuring out how can we do what we're doing better. After a year of that, I experienced the big quit. My team went from three to one. And so now uh, there's been a really interesting shift because it's just me and trying to get the positions posted to rehire is challenging. Trying to find people who are interested in the positions is challenging. Trying to navigate the amount of work that was being done prior to, or, or when, when I had a team, <laughs> and shifting to now trying to manage it as a team of one, horribly challenging. So it has been, to me, like a roller coaster. I work for a hospital. So at a hospital, as you can imagine, you can be 100% in person or you can be 100% remote. There's been a lot of flexibility. So that's been fantastic. I am actually considered partially remote. I go back into the office about once a month, I spend a week and then, you know, return to home to manage everything else. The challenge is, you know, I keep thinking, why in the world do I want to go up there? I don't have a team anymore. Why? <laughs> What's the point? However, I really like meeting with people in person. I miss that. That causes me a little stress and anxiety. And so, gosh. I want to get off the roller coaster. I'm sick. Thanks, Shelly. This is Lucinda Talbert. And to kind of piggyback on what Shelly was talking about, I really have appreciated the balance I was able to maintain in being able to work virtually in, instead of having to report to the office every day. Um, my commute is not nearly as long. It's only about a half hour. I think for me, not only was I juggling managing a team at the onset of a pandemic, I was new to my position because I'm now over operations instead of being on the program or fund development side. So not only was I navigating my new role in the organization, I was part of the team that was trying to navigate the whole process of how to maintain a, some sense of sanity in a world that it just seemed like it was going over a cliff. And so a lot of those decisions about whether to be a virtual office or to continue in person rested with me as well as the, the leadership team that I'm on. I remember in particular, we closed our offices. I want to say it was like a Thursday or Friday on March the 13th. And all, all I do remember was that it was the day after the NBA had closed the season down and Tom and Rita Hanks had announced that they had COVID. And that really got our attention because our CEO and I were texting back and forth going, oh boy, this is, this is serious. <laughs> that it, it just grabbed our attention. And so we called the leadership in the next day and based on the information we had, we made a determination. Let's just shut it down. We'll probably be back in a month. We actually put up a sign that says, oh, we'll, we'll reopen in April of 2020. That sign is still up there. And of course, the date is crossed out now. You know, we just kind of 
keep that up there as a reminder of what we were thinking in March of 2020. And so we went to a virtual office and I remember walking around and telling my team, okay, pack up your, your things. You're gonna be working from home for a while. And we had already had a work from home culture. And so people grabbed their things and we, we shut the office down and we're still a virtual office. We had toyed with the idea of reopening after Labor Day weekend. And this was early in the summer when the numbers were going down and we were feeling pretty optimistic. And then the Delta variant hit. And we have several staffers that have young children and they wanted to continue to protect their children since kids are unvaccinated. And they were grappling with the whole virtual school and you know just all the chaos around finding good childcare and all of that. And so we, we're still a virtual office. It's just been a whole process of just feeling our way through using a combination of facts and listening to the CDC and our local health officials and just trying to synthesize that as a team and figure out something that works best for not only the organization, but staff as human beings and looking at their, after their mental health and well-being. So that's a lot of what we've been doing navigation-wise since this crazy time has started. Yeah, it sounds like you have to be incredibly nimble and shift with just whatever's in front of us right now, which feels so different maybe than what we've experienced in the past. I might jump in. This is Shannon Chris from the Hi, Univers Shannon. University of Kansas School of Architecture and Design. I really picked up on the, the human qualities of what you talk about like this. I remember when COVID struck out, Nils and I were at a conference down in Oklahoma and you know, you're starting to get the news feeds and I'm sitting in a, in a room full of people elbow to elbow. And I'm hearing that, you know, I'm hearing somebody coughing and, you know, starting to go, what should I be here? We made our way back. We kind of um, traveled slowly back up and we you know we start going to the walmarts and there's no toilet paper and you know there's feels like this this mad dash and kind of like and you, you started to kind of feel a little distrustful right of others like should i be near anybody and it's so amazing to think about because that my whole job in life is to teach students at the university which is elbow to elbow. I'm a designer. So really kind of drawing and being with students directly is, is what we do. And then the other hat I play is through Dot Agency, which is a community outreach group. And that we, we base our work on participatory design. So being in the place with people, talking directly and being connected is essential to what we do. So it was very disorienting. We came back to the university and within a week, we had to kind of shut down and we were asked in a week's time to pivot and turn our all of our courses into an online medium. And that was very challenging to do. And a lot of people were a, a bit panicked, you know, and I, I would say in how to kind of navigate the, the technology and be effective as, as professors. So a lot of hard work went into changing how we deliver 
I am now back in the classroom with the mask on. And um, I will have to say the students have been respectful of trying to keep a safe place. And on a regular, every other day, a student calls in and says, I think I've been exposed to COVID. I'm gonna stay home and go get checked, right? So this is the kind of reality we're dealing with is we're still not you know, secure in how we can be together. There's still this kind of, I, I guess, question whether we should be together. But I'm just going to finish just saying that for me, it's been a really fulfilling experience too, because I feel like I am more sensitive to others' health as a professional, as a professor, right? It's always about the, the curriculum and delivering the work. Of course, the humanity of it is there. But over the last year and a half, I've become more and more, uh, I think, conscious of their mental health, their physical health. I start every class with how are we doing? And I'm really, I think I'm more aware. I've changed my class to be a hybrid class. So allowing asynchronous learning to happen, but we do get together. But I, instead of a lecture hall, I've just, uh, my Tuesday mornings are, students are in small groups, 15 groups throughout the building. So, you know, just really trying to uh, distribute and offer up this physical connection that we all need, but trying to do it in a safe way. So there's a lot of, learning and I think de de think or rethinking what it means to be uh, humanly connected. I will say my participatory design work in Wyandotte County is still suffering. I think uh, I feel a bit lost on how to effectively be useful to our community partners. I realize that a lot of it really is that showing up in the in the room or at the park or in different places in the city and having those less formal conversations, those, those conversations that lead to other ideas. And that's essential to our work. So I'm struggling with that. If anybody has a similar experience or some solutions, that'd be great to, to open up that conversation. Thanks, Shannon. I can relate to the uh, having to do classes online in a, in a virtual setting versus in person. There really is a difference there, that uh, personal connection that you have with people when you're in the same room with them versus what you have online is, is certainly different. And it really sounds to me like you're talking about or, or maybe asking yourself the question is, what does the new normal look like here? Who else has a, a thought or a comment? Well, if I could go, um, I feel like... I, this is Kara Lubisher, and I'm with St. Luke's Health System, and I feel like I live in two different worlds of the health system, where I had a chance to see the other world. So I technically work for the system office or the corporate office running our community health initiatives. So like Shelly, I got sent home last March and have been working from home in the comforts of my home, and then I... Uh, for the last six months, come into the office once a week and go to community meetings every once in a while. And so had it pretty easy and got to um, take it very easy over the last 18 or 19 months. But about two months ago, the health system put out an email saying we're short-staffed everywhere in our hospitals. People, we just don't have enough people for all of the jobs. And so we are asking our non-clinical staff to um, help in these positions. And so 
not knowing what I was signing up for, um, I just said, I'll help. And I have seen two sides of the hospital. I, I was assigned to St. Luke's South Hospital, have had my eyes open to positions um, in the hospital system that I you know, knew nothing about. And I'm sure I was in the way the majority of the time, but I just wanted to help. And so I worked as a housekeeper one week um, on the COVID floor, on the COVID ICU floor. And um, as a person who has no clinical experience, that was very almost traumatizing to see everyone on ventilators, mostly my age. And so, but also like I wanted to hug every single nurse and thank them for what they were doing because here I am sitting in my house every day working. And here is the rest of the health system doing all this work. And then, um, and, and our housekeepers and I got to clean rooms and, uh, and they worked so hard. And, and then I also uh, was assigned to the emergency department. And there I know I was definitely in the way uh, most of the night, uh, but I, you know, ran to the lab, cleaned rooms, did whatever uh, a non-clinical person could do, which wasn't a ton, but so I got to experience that. So I don't know what I'll get to do next Monday night, but um, whatever I can do to help on this side of the health system, I want to help. And it just shows that we just don't have enough staff at this time, you know, and there's a lot of people you know, about like 450, 500 people signed up for these jobs. So, and we I don't want to, like, we're getting paid a, a stipend to do this work. So it's not like, I'm, you know, some martyr or anything. Mm -hmm. So I just, but it's an opportunity for me to see the other side of the health system that I have joined. And, uh, and it's been very good for me to see this part of our health system and get to know other people and, um, and let them know how much I appreciate the work they're doing. Great, Kara. Thank you. Yeah. That, uh, that spirit is very strong to want to reach out and help. And I know people appreciate it. The other part that you really emphasize is this theme of being short-staffed. And that came up in the intro, obviously, and Shelly talked about it. And you know, it's just one of those things that uh, is a real dilemma right now for organizations and companies who are, you know, attempting to move forward in their work amidst this pandemic. Yeah, this is uh, Troy Unruh. You know, one thing I hear is I love the connection and the value that how the changing value for, you know, we talk about other people and the work that they do. And so all of the stories so far have really emphasized, I'm, I'm really curious about that changing not only how you value others, but also how others are valuing, valuing you. And then Kara, your, your story really, you know, make a difference. Shannon talked about those, you know, being out of the office and in the office, but I tell you some of these stories and the value of, of others and how that works, not only for, for others, for you, but also others valuing you. I'm curious about, have you noticed your change in value for others? This is Lucinda Talbert. And one of the things that we did at KCLT Kids was we have, a, we have the staff meeting every month and we set aside about 10 or 15 minutes at the end of every staff meeting and we have a, a, a psychologist on staff and she would lead us through mindfulness exercises because our mental health suddenly became a 
top priority. And so that was the other thing that we were navigating as managers is not just staying on top of making sure that the work was done, but, but how are people doing? How are people managing? You know, what's going on with their families and what are, what are they having to cope with when they're not at work? And so the mindfulness exercise and the mindfulness training was intended to give staff resources and tools for how to manage through the stress of all of that. And as the pandemic progressed and we started seeing outbreaks in the community, it became transitioned from being this big time news story to real life as you would hear about cases that were happening amongst your, your colleagues and, and your friends and, and, and your family. And so eventually as the losses started, as the, the fatalities started to build, we had, there was a number of us, including myself, that went through the trauma that this pandemic is bringing to family. And so how do you manage your own feelings through those traumatic times as a leader and also support your staff as they're going through their own trauma. Because we had a couple of staff that actually had COVID, so you're worrying about them. And, and you know, I had a, a contract staffer who lost her father um, last year. I lost my father early this year. And it just started building up and building up. And so that staff meeting time gave us the space to say, we're in extraordinary times. We're not, this is not business as usual. We're still a virtual office. It's okay if you need to take an afternoon off. It's okay if you need to take a day off. We, we all need that opportunity to breathe and, and find some balance as we navigate through all of this. This is just Tame. I'm with um, the executive director at Front Porch Alliance. And something that I noticed is um, at the onsite, so I had a heads up. I have a, my, my youngest sister actually lives in Chengdu, China. And so end of January is when she said, hey, something is going on. I'm gonna send y'all a whole lot of masks. Just believe me, like take them. And then she's like, oh, the shipment wouldn't come. And I was like, why not? And so she's like, I think this thing is about to be international but she was living in china just saying how they were shutting down like putting roadblocks where you couldn't get into parts of the city to prevent the spread and so that is what january looked like for us and our family just like listening to my sister and getting the updates of what's happening and how fast everything is moving how they shut down schools so like there was like a, a time period where you could see what was coming for us just because of what i would talk to my sister about and so by the time it was here um springtime comes that is where i've been a youth director for the last 20 years and so like Youth programming starts, you know, spring break, kids like getting programs set for the summertime. And all of a sudden, as we adults are trying to figure out what was going on, because we are the foundation of society, right? There are all these kids who didn't have anything to do, like outside of knowing, oh, now they can't go back to school. And now they're by themselves. So I had them work in the community gardens. 
with mask on in the heat because we didn't know, right? Like, I think people as of now are getting comfortable. If we're outside, we're okay. But at that point, I had 13, 16 year olds in the Kansas City sun picking tomatoes and all kinds of things in the heat. I'm sure they wanted to kill me. But then I still see the opposite side. So I was with the organization that I was up for five, like six years and transitioned halfway at the end of last year to a new role as my current role as ED here at Front Porch Alliance. And looking at some of the families that we work with, like we were working with Early Head Start and so doing video, videography or videos um, through Zoom to see how the development of children is happening. Like that's how we, we were. But then you see the school agers in the background self-soothing by rocking, like things that I know as a social worker that I'm like, no one is paying attention to the child that's over to the to the side. And so this summer for our organization, we started just talking to the kids saying, hey, what would you like to do? We introduced a couple of summer programs. And when I tell it all, like, I've always worked with youth. I appreciate them and their honesty and directness. The, kid, the youth, and I'm still nervous for them, have gone into a dark space. And so even us as an adult just saying, hey, we are, and I get it because I'm a supervisor to eight other staff and I see they can't produce work as quickly as they once did, or there's a mental blockage, you know, when you're talking to them and there's like a need to repeat things. And so time will tell what the mental ramifications have for us as adults, but just me and my experience of working with children and families for so long of seeing what now young people are dealing with and to the point where I got actually nervous this summer of like kids who are confessing, like I've been holding this end of suicide ideation and like not knowing where they fit in or connect and realizing that their parents trying to figure out work, food, transportation, school, left them in a dark, like, cause no one's now talking to them. Um, there's no social circle circles of church or school or athletics. And so over this last year, it's just been very interesting to see how youth, children, or family, young families with young children are coping. And I'm curious of what that will look like in the future, just because of all that I've seen thus far and the ramifications that it has for us as a society. Like, that workaholic mentality doesn't even exist anymore. I know for myself, like, that's since I can't control anything, like, I was like, okay, we got to do something, do something, you know, and so, but realizing, like, burnout is quicker, like, because I think we're coping, you know, and so you don't have that wide range of the ability to push down stuff to the side, like, which is probably good, but also it's, like, developing us into a new person, a different type of person where we have to, like, consider ourselves, consider each other as we continue to do the work we're called to do. Thank you, Jutan. Yeah, we, uh, it's interesting to look around at the effects that the people around us are, are experiencing and your focus on the kids and, and their uncertainty and the challenges they're going through because of the challenges we're going through and how that all cascades is an is a intriguing challenge, right? Really tough. Uh, yeah, hi, this is Christopher Cooper, and uh, there might be some construction going on in the next room, so I just want to warn you that there could be some crazy noise. 
the more I listen, the more I'm having like a really hard time organizing my thoughts because it's, it's so much, you know, it's so big for everybody and it's so different for everyone. And, you know, I'm in my own world and I have my own experience. So since I didn't know where to start, I'm just going to piggyback on what Jatane was talking about. So because of the pandemic and also, you know, I want to mention that this pandemic did not just happen in isolation. You know, there was, you know, this is around the time that George Floyd was murdered and there was a real movement that was happening. And that had a really big impact on our work lives as well. I've had the, uh, I guess, the good fortune, even though it's kind of rooted in misfortune to have had to move around to a couple of agencies because of the pandemic. And I've seen all of them struggling with, you know, trying to put together some kind of DEI committee and address that issue at the same time while they're addressing the pandemic. But I did briefly, I got to work at a Montessori school, which was really kind of uh, an interesting experience because I worked with kids who were from kindergarten to fifth grade and we weren't providing them Montessori education. They were getting public school education. Um, they were all learning on their tablets. The expectations for these children were the same as if they were in school. And I got to, I, I watched the mental health of these children over a couple of months decline rapidly. These, these kids have no idea how to, how to process what they're going through and what this pandemic means. You know, they, they, they never went to school on a tablet before. They, they have to engage in class while actually not being there with their peers and being with these people, which is, you know, it's, it's really, really important to have that human connection. I mean, I think for me, my mental health has suffered the most because I have been pulled away from that human connection. The work that I do is with people. When, I, when the pandemic first hit, I was a community-based behavioral health specialist, which meant I was going, you know, to schools and to people's homes and meeting people out in the community and working with them and trying to do that over Zoom. Oh man, I just don't cut it. <laughs> it's just not the same. And I really struggled a lot with that. And now uh, on the opposite end, I'm, I'm a fostering prevention specialist now, also a community-based role, but now I have the anxiety of, um, I have to go into people's homes, you know, and some of my clients have contracted COVID and have had to quarantine. And I have to worry about that day in and day out when I go and meet with my clients that, you know, there's a potential that, you know, I could get sick. And COVID hasn't gotten less threatening. You know, I recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, one of my lifelong friends, my same age, just passed away. He was in the hospital for, for uh, two months battling this you know it's not it's not the common cold um something very serious and it's, it's hard it's hard being out there it hasn't really gotten any easier i don't know that it's gotten any easier for anyone but the struggles are different for everyone so for me it's it's really it's really nice that we're we have this space so that we can in some ways kind of process together and vent a little bit and and, and see that, you know, we are all in this together and, and everyone is suffering, but I am really interested to see, you know, as far as like the future, how, not just how we recover with our mental health, because I feel like adults are, you know, we're maybe even more resilient than children, but to see, you know, how this, this generation really pulls through this and, and what they do to keep themselves sane. I don't know. I've been seeing a lot about people like, you know, people younger than me quitting their jobs. I know there's just like this mass exodus of the workforce where they're just fed up and they're leaving. And like the ramifications of that are pretty heavy. I'm really concerned to see what that looks like. 
Um, but yeah, those are just a few thoughts. I'm gonna keep mulling things over as, as other people talk. Thanks, Christopher. So this is uh, Bianca Garcia, and I've just kind of been taking it in and hearing other people's perspectives. So I work at a health department here in the metro area, and I think something for us that we we definitely started to see the effects of early on, and it goes along with the theme of public health workforce and, and retention and how that's been so difficult. And early on, there was just this very strong urgency at our health department, and I'm sure that was the case across the board, but everything just seemed to be centered around COVID and response, and we immediately had to move into into plan mode and, and start putting vaccination sites up and staffing those and people who were not used to this clinical type of work having to step into that, that realm. And so I think kind of going back to what Troy mentioned about valuing other employees and it was difficult for us to really value the different staff members at our agency because unless we saw them out actually doing the work, it was it was easy to think, oh, those who are at home aren't doing any work. What are they doing? What are they sitting around doing? So there was just this, this lack of empathy, I think, and a lot of, of stress and fatigue around why am I having to be the one to pick up the slack and do this work and, and, and you know, have to fill these, these shoes that I'm not used to doing when all of my other work is piling up, my grants, my projects that are, are falling behind and being delayed. And so I think it was definitely a roller coaster. So like Shelly said, it's been a roller coaster of trying to figure out where you fit and where your work needs to go. So for us, it was navigating that at first, trying to identify the most fair and equitable way of spreading the work across employees at the health department um, so that that feeling of, of resentment didn't build up. Others who were not actually stepping out, doing the work, because early on it was also not feeling comfortable going out and actually helping with testing and translating and things like that because we didn't have all the proper equipment and we couldn't ensure absolute safety. And so I think now we're navigating to an area where as a health department, we have a better idea of how our response needs to be adjusted. And, and with the vaccination sites, we've been able to, to narrow it down to just one when before we had three, we've been able to contract a lot of employees in positions. And there's been a little controversy around that too, because even the employees who are contracted to work a 12 year term, aren't as invested as some of the public health employees who have been there for years. And so there's been some issues around that. And I think now it's, it's, we're trying to figure out where we want to go after the pandemic. And it's difficult to even envision that. And so a lot of what's kind of resulted from that is all of these new position in, positions opening up centered around DEI and health equity and policy development. And so we have all of these new roles coming on, but at the same time, it's kind of difficult for us to envision what that's going to look like when we've lost so many staff members too. So how do we get excited about taking on this new work and addressing health equity, especially everything that's come up through COVID when we don't feel like we have the capacity in the workforce to do that? So those are the challenges that we've experienced at the health department level. Thanks, Bianca. It really is a new world, isn't it? And thanks for describing that. 
Taryn or Nils, do you have any reflections on what you're experiencing right now in regards to the the pandemic, the returning to work, the challenges around that, uh, both professionally and personally? Okay, my my reflection or my experience um, reflects what Shannon talked about a lot. Since we're in the same line of work at the same at the same university, I had a meeting yesterday in Kansas City, Kansas, with one of our community partners to with my students to do some work, and it was it's really nice. It was a beautiful day, and I had the doors wide open, and we were all able to go there and do our work and and think about making some things for the future, you know, for that community partner, and that felt really nice. So in that sense, I'm. I'm kind of optimistic. Maybe it's just a matter of time till hopefully we get you know back to whatever normal might look like. And so right now I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. So good, thanks, Nils. So I feel a little bit a little bit removed in that my role is mostly with community partners and not with girls at the Girl Scouts. And so our job has certainly shifted a lot in what we do but we are an after-school program that people elect to be a part of, right? And so it's not a have to, but it is one of those extra safety nets, not safety net, it's an extra community, like um, Jatame was saying, that can help pour into students when the parents can't. And a lot of times the troop leaders were unable to because they were just figuring out their own needs for their own family. And so I would say I am less aware of kind of the impact it's had on our girls. But I do know that for those girls that were able to continue with Girl Scouts, they keep saying what a a blessing it has been because it has been something else, right? Besides the have to of school, that they get to meet their friends, be it online, you know, because a lot of that's taken away even in the school fact they might see them, but they don't really get to interact with them. And so it has provided a little bit of that, that community, that social uh, engagement for girls. And so that has been beneficial, but certainly girls, you know, there's a lot fewer girls doing Girl Scouts right now. So it's, it's still hard and it's, that's still the case now, even when things start to feel a little bit better, that there's just fewer girls um, signing up. So it's very different. It's very hard to try and figure out how to meet their needs, just like you guys, right? So you think you're out of the woods and then another something comes around the corner. And so just trying to see what is most helpful for girls, not just programming for the sake of programming, but like what is truly helpful at this point. So, yeah. Great, thank you. I wanna turn to our coaches, Phyllis and Troy for a minute. What are you, reflecting on right now as you hear these stories from these wonderful people on our uh, discussion? What are you hearing? What are some of the themes? uh, And what are some of the questions that you might pose to them? I just started taking some notes and um, I have an opportunity. I've started venturing out, well, one client where we're face to face. And like many of you, it was almost like, what are we going to do now? We can't really operate the same way going forward. Phyllis, come in and help us figure out how to change everything. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't even know that you're ready to process that, that technical work. And so when I went in, I, I went straight adaptive and just started asking everybody, I think like uh, Lucinda was saying, just doing a check-in. It was a small group. They had finally gone back to the office and it was just a quick check-in. How are you doing? 
and what was supposed to be an hour and a half kind of a discussion on work work turned into a four hour check-in where tears finally the tears started flowing and it was like we didn't we didn't even know how much was pent up so I think it was Jatane was talking about the children with mental health and even co-workers and what I just started writing down was just all the loss that uh, everyone has suffered uh, just in hearing us uh, loss of camaraderie water cooler talks the loss of mental health being sense of purpose safety stability loss of the way we were the pre-pandemic loss of even the work because our work has shifted we don't necessarily know how but we know it is in the midst of shifting and then the literal loss of people and so i guess i'm just i don't know if i want to ask the question or just um, want to throw out i heard lucinda talk about in their check-ins they're kind of seeing and checking where everybody is how often are we checking in and how are you and your organizations even beginning to process speaking to the loss, which can be so, so many different things. And so I'm just kind of wondering what everybody's doing. And I know that several started checking in when they, what, when the vaccine started, I'll call it that, that period when it was like, oh, it looks like it's gonna, we're gonna make a comeback. Let's do our check-in now. Well, now we're what, eight months, what, nine months, 10 months? into it. I'm wondering how many more check-ins are we having? So I'm just curious about how you and your teams are speaking to the loss or, or, or creating that space to speak to the loss, I should say. Let's open that to anyone who would like to address that. This is Christopher. So I work for Foster Adopt Connect and they are working on actually um, hiring therapists uh, to be on staff for us to, to speak to and help us process through um, whatever trauma we're going through. I think that's a really big step for them. And it's not something that's really easy to do for a nonprofit. It's a pretty expensive thing to get into. So that's, that's one thing that I've seen. I'm trying to be optimistic because I tend to be really negative. Now, Christopher, is that for staff and, and families and children or? Yes. That's for staff. Um, staff. We help we help connect uh, our families to to therapists, but um, it's a, it's it's tends to be kind of difficult for us to find that help for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you know, after a while, when we're confiding in one another, that can be exhausting too. So I think it's really important to have kind of um, a professional, impartial party to speak to. Yeah, as it co comes to loss, I haven't directly talked to the staff, but something when the COVID variant started, something that I did notice was both staff were like, I can't do this again. Like, are we going to shut down? And so in that loss of like being able to recognize something was lost in this last year, right? Like they were able to say, I can't do, like, if we go through another year, like what we just did, I can't be here today. I can't do this. Like, I gave my all. And so I do know that, like, that anxiety of not knowing how deep this could get again has been something to at least start the processing that we did lose something, um, acknowledging that. And I was on a call uh, or a meeting, the executive director's roundtable with Nonprofit Connect, similar to what Christopher was talking about. Many of the executive directors, we all, we just had a venting session and then realized, oh my gosh, all of our staff were the same. Like, 
check-ins are long. It's very emotional. People cannot work or produce. And we're just kind of like, if we have a grant report, we need the numbers if we're going to pay your salary. And so knowing all of this, many of the executive directors have asked a question, should we come together and try to do something around mental health? Like, because we have small staff, like, I have it, staff of eight, right? And so because we have small staff, we were like, what would it look like for all of us to come together and provide therapy for our staff, like linking it together? But as many of y'all have already said, most of us, who's leading this? Like, I don't have time because now the work my staff can't get done, I'm putting it on my plate. So no one's knowing who will start that process, but acknowledging, hey, we need to do something for our staff. Thirdly, I would say we work um, at Front Porch Alliance. We are home visitors for the Early Head Start program. And so some things that I'm thinking about too, not only COVID, but I would probably have to provide therapy for my staff in general because they they take in a lot of secondary trauma. Now saying just in the situations and the livelihoods of our families, but now COVID and adding on the normal situations and livelihoods of our family, that is just a lot of secondary trauma. And um, realizing like, now I have to do this teeter-totter of like, are you taking care of yourself? But I still need the numbers and I need, is your family okay? Do they need anything? Like a fine line between all of this because somehow there still needs to be forward movement and the mental, I'm a nurturer in heart, so the mental toll that takes on me of just like, I can't talk to you for four hours. You should probably get a therapist, um, and I can't be that. Though I have my social work skills, I can't do that role right now. And so that is where I've been learning to help, to hold space, but also realizing I can't hold space for all of this. Thank you, Jutane. You know, I, I really appreciate the stories. And one thing that I, I think is really interesting, and I, I think Phyllis also highlighted it, is that sometimes with loss is that one thing is, is, as far as coaches, is that this is where we start. So where do you want to be? And I think the interesting thing is a lot of us, um, a lot of you haven't have had any time because you've been in either that caretaking role or that leadership role really is what I see in here is that. So thinking about, so what does that future? So here's where I start. Where do I want to be? And so I'm curious about thinking about that and where that might lead you in your actions or maybe some steps differently um, rather than handling the here and now thinking about so what does that look like here's where I start where do I want to be so I'm curious about so what does that look like thinking about the future where you're at now and what that might look like not new normal or not normal because I don't think that's going to happen anymore but this idea of here's where I'm starting so where would I like to be over the next maybe three to six months, thinking about that, um, having some goals, and then really, maybe that's part of that self caretaking. But it also, I, I love the idea of that balance. So I'm curious about, you know, here we are now, what needs to change so that you can continue your leadership roles? Yeah, I don't know that I have a real answer here. But um, I think the thing I miss is the casual conversation that doesn't have to be set up as a meeting on my calendar. It's, it's that innovative, opportunistic, what if place that I really miss. And I miss that. And you never know who's gonna be part of that conversation, right? Because it's the place that brings people together or maybe a topic, but sometimes people show up that you didn't expect. 
or it's so casual that there's no purpose to it. And, you know, you, you just have that conversation. It's the real human part of what we do. It's, it, there are no right answers. It's that kind of, I guess, adaptive way of being. And I don't have a solution for that because at some level people aren't showing up for some of these participatory events or it's just, or maybe I need to try harder and be more innovative somehow and how we create that. I mean, what does that new space look like? Anybody have a thought on it? <laughs> I don't know that I have a thought on it, but I like the idea of thinking, where is it you wanna be? But the problem is I wanna be back to in-person, doing things like Shannon talks about, because I think I totally agree with what you just said. When you have conversations that start up, you know, just maybe just from a check-in, but the check-in is because you ran into each other. I think that's really valuable from, you know, like a multitude of reasons. One, just being human connection in a 3D world. I'm frustrated, you know, living in a 2D world. And then how do you manage your own self-care when the heat has been turned up so high, you can't stay in the room or the kitchen or you know whatever you wanna call it. And I'm tired of people not giving grace. I'm tired of the extremes, you know, like the rage that exists on either side, doesn't matter, but I don't care. I don't, I don't, I'm tired of rage. I want, you know, gosh, I think to the experience that Kara shared earlier, and man, shouldn't we all have to do that? Because it gets you a little bit more to the middle and empathy. And can't you, Andy, I, I one of the, my favorite things that Andy used to always ask me or still ask me when we go through coaching sessions is, isn't there another way to look at that? So, you know, when you're triggered in this world we're in right now, isn't there another way to look at it? And Kara expressed um, a great living example of another way to look at it. Yeah, that's what we don't see. Amanda in the chat shared her personal experience and conversations with friends she has that are ICU nurses that shares their frustration when the world seems open, but the ICUs are full. How do you manage those things? How do you manage individual loss or personal loss? How do you get back to self-care when you're just so over the top that it's hard to get there? So one of the things, you know, I always think about, you got to you gotta break it down into like bite-sized pieces. You know, they ask, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Okay, well, so what's the first bite? And from a self-care perspective, for me, it literally is getting outside because Outside seems to be a safer place for everyone. People are less upset about being out there. You have sunshine, which just makes people happier. And any amount of getting into nature or physical activity, I think is really important because not only have we shut things down and we've scared the crap out of ourselves by the stories we tell ourselves or the stories we're hearing or those, the lack of human connection, we're affecting our mental health our physical health by addressing one problem. We've created a bunch of unintended problems. When you look at the rates of, you know, in my world, I work with overweight and obesity. So the rates of overweight and obesity have skyrocketed yet again. My gosh, we never got them down over the past 25 years. Now we've just escalated them. We also know that people who are obese are more at risk for developing serious disease from COVID. So we're shutting down all of these things 
that help address the challenges that we're all facing. You know, getting back to being outside, getting back to connection, even if it's six feet apart, whatever, in an environment that, you know, provides a, these other benefits, whether it's, you know, again, access to nature, physical activity. I think for me personally, that's where I'm focusing right now in the short term. And I'm trying not to tell myself the story that, uh, good luck with that, because here comes winter. <laughs> I, so I thought about that uh, winter coming up and and you know we're at the end of September right now and the weather is mostly lovely outside and it's good to be out but what does it look like when uh, it's blustery and cold and wet and whatever and do we just retreat back into our own cocoons or do we continue to try to connect with people and so it's a it's a great lesson. I've heard a number of things today in this discussion and I'm intrigued by them. Shelly started with the idea of being on a roller coaster and I think a lot of us can identify with that. We talked about pent up, uh, pent up, uh, anguish, pent up, anger, pent up, something uh, came out in several different ways. Uh, we talked about in some cases being or feeling burnt out. And I think that that, feels and seems like a theme of this discussion. Uh, we talked quite a lot about, and thank you, Phyllis, for bringing it to the forefront, the idea of loss and what is the loss out there for us, for our people, for the people we interact with, for our kids. And I think it's, uh, it's pretty significant. And one of the questions is, how do we lead through that? How do we understand that? How do we bring that to the forefront so that it's not just assumed that everybody's okay? Talk some about fatigue. There was a sense of impatience to get back, to be reconnected with people, to, to make it more normal than it is right now. Yet that's all kind of clouded with uncertainty of what's coming next <laughs> and it's not like it this is over right you know christopher you talked about a, a friend dying or being sick with COVID. i just had a close friend die of COVID. this is happening more and more and more and we're seeing it this pandemic is not over it's a challenge though for us as we deal with the self-care but we also think like leaders as we try to lead through this challenge and this dilemma and what that could be. So as we begin to wrap up our this discussion, my guess is there'll probably be more as we move forward because uh, I didn't even get to the idea of uh, the pandemic flux syndrome, which is kind of an interesting dilemma where on one hand, you're you're feeling uh, withdrawn and burnout. On the other hand, you're feeling optimistic, like Nils said, and those two are conflicting with each other and seemingly creating some sense of uh, just a weird state that we're going through. And so uh, look it up for those listeners who want to look up pandemic flux syndrome. Uh, there's some nice articles and podcasts on that particular topic. And it's kind of dealing with what a lot of us are feeling right now. So as we try to wrap this particular segment up, 
I'm kind of interested in encouraging thoughts, encouraging words, and what are some of the things we need to be focused on in our leadership roles? Since I brought up the loss, I want to switch it around <laughs> to something more hopeful. That group that I worked with now four or five months later, slowly, just as you let them release some of that loss, creativity, new thought processes started to enter the conversation. But one of the things that I offered them and I would offer you all now is just, you made it this far. We may have a, a few less brain cells, or mental capacities, a, lost a little bit of skin, but you still made it. And uh, I would even just offer to have you take a step back. And you know how we talked about getting on the balcony, take a step back, get on the balcony and do somewhat of a mental assessment of the positive things that you did or that you learned that brought you here because you, you did something. I've heard some of you have switched jobs. You still have your staff. Again, we might be still hanging on by a thin thread, but you made it. And so how can you start looking at what you did to get this far? Take those good things and see now what do we need to do to carry those forward, tweak them for this next phase, the winter phase maybe. But I just, I think sometimes we do get so caught up in the, the problems that we forgot what we did to survive. And some of the creativity that, especially those of you who were leading other people and had to be the ones who made the call, how, how did, what did you do that uh, helped your, yourself, your team, your organization still hang in there? I, I think I've stolen a few things I heard from Shannon a long time ago just with the whole synchronous, asynchronous training that you said a long time ago when this first started. And I hadn't even thought about that. I, in fact, I thought, okay, I think I know what asynchronous means, but let me go look that up just to double check because that just hadn't been a thought process of mine until I heard you say it and I thought, yeah. So that's something I would offer that you all start to think back if you haven't already done so because you guys did make it. Other thoughts or ideas or encouragements? I'll just say that I'm a hybrid person now. There are really great things that have come out of COVID in terms of, as you mentioned, asynchronous teaching because students can learn at their own time. A lot of our students have to work a lot of hours to pay that college tuition. And so being in class or you know what I might prescribe when you should do this is, has opened up. And so... Uh, I think my teaching is more effective and they can, they can speed up my video, my lecture and <laughs> cruise through it, or they can repeat it. You know, they're just, it's more adaptive to their own needs. Uh, so I think that's been really positive. So yeah, I think it's, it's the student teaching that's, I think, been a positive, but I, I still, I really appreciate Shelley's comment about just come up with outdoor activities or other ways of being and finding that happenstance space where we can meet each other. Thank you for that, Shelley. Um, I think one of the things that's been really encouraging is just looking at the level of creativity, not only at KCLV Kids, but also locally and nationally in terms of how people adapted and, and how this gradual transition to being able to work from home, I think we learned a lesson that we can still be incredibly productive 
even if we are a virtual office. And so I think that that part, in my opinion, is going to become a standard in, uh, in workplace culture where people will be able to have a blended schedule between physically being in the office and experiencing the, the, the camaraderie that, that's missing, that water cooler conversation and the synergy of creativity with the balance of, of working in a home office. And so um, I think that's, that's definitely a positive because I'm pretty certain that's gonna be our organization in the future. I think that some of the adaptive work that we've done in terms of moving some of the programs to online Zoom interactions. And, you know, that's been a big hit or miss, but we've learned some important lessons. And so we'll have ways to incorporate that into the way we do programs and, and interact with families. You know, we got grants to distribute tablets to people that, you know, couldn't afford them so that we could have those call-in conversations with our program participants. And so that worked out to be to great effect. So yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite familiar with that word. The, oh, the phrase pandemic flux syndrome. I do plan to look that up, but as I understand it, it's kind of like a combination of optimism and dread and uncertainty happening all at once. And that's a pretty good descriptor. Thanks, Lucinda. You know, one thing that this is probably sounds a little corny or silly, but I have been thanking people for showing up. And it started, and this may sound silly as well, in a restaurant. So there have been a number of times where we've tried to go out to eat somewhere just because, again, the stress of getting everything done and going to the store and taking care of all your stuff. Just sometimes I haven't had a chance to do that. And if I my husband and I don't want to go to fast food. We've been showing up to restaurants. Well, there's a number of restaurants, as I'm sure you all know, that are closed and they've got their hours on the door and you're there in them, but nobody's there. And so for those that are and are, you know, managing through this, I've just started writing little notes to the wait staff. Just thanks for showing up. And so when I get a team back, maybe I'll do that with them as well. <laughs> So thank you all for showing up. I want to say that too. Ditto. I just want to encourage you all. It's, uh, these are tough topics. And I wasn't completely sure where this discussion would go, but I like what I heard because it really did show the struggle and the challenge and the tension, the heat in the system, right? And also with some sense of, and here are some things we're doing to try to make it better. And, and Shelly, I love that you ended on that idea of thanking people and, and having grace with people. I would say that as I've gone out, uh, the, the size of the tips that I'm giving, uh, if I go to a restaurant are much higher than they used to be, just because, wow, the fact that they're even there is a big deal. And that's just one indication. It's There's also this sense of there's been a lot of anger and a lot of distrust in the system as a whole. And somehow if we can move past that and start being kind to people again, <laughs> that I believe has a way of uh, raising all ships, right? 
where people begin to feel better about themselves, about what they're doing, about how they're contributing, and, and most of all, how they're interacting and affecting other people. So I want to thank you all for your time today and for your great reflections. There'll be more because I think there's a lot more to talk about here. As we do, uh, I'd love to ultimately engage you all again in further discussions. That's the show. Thank you for joining the Ad Astra Coach Alliance podcast, Badass Coaching. If you want to find out more about the Ad Astra Coach Alliance, go to www.adastracoachalliance.com.